We have been in a series now about the healer, and last couple of weeks, one was on the healing of the blind man, and the one last week, which we weren't here, but I listened to it, and it was very good, was on the um, woman with the issue of blood that went to Jesus. And today, I get the privilege of speaking about our healer, who heals the marginalized. And as I was thinking back about all the different lessons in this series, it was interesting that everybody he ministered to uh, in, in this series was marginalized. The woman that came to him was unclean, and the Pharisees and Sadducees of that day would not appreciate her being out, let alone touching somebody, as Sam had said. And then the blind man, the, again, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were upset with him and saying, are you going to school us? So they marginalized him, even though what they should have been doing was magnifying God that this amazing miracle happened. But they were more concerned about the law being fulfilled. And yet even that, had they paid attention, they would have known who was doing the healing because of all the prophecies from years ago or past years. So they really were marginalizing everybody around them and not seeing that by doing that, they were sinning. So today we're going to look at another healing, and this one is um, categorized in the marginalized uh, section as well. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that, that you would just share your heart today. As I've studied this, I just see how sweet you are how kind you are, compassionate. Lord, we need that today. And I just, I just ask that you would help me to speak the way you would want me to today. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you think about marginalizing, we do it today. We can do it with um, people that aren't in our socioeconomic community. We can do it, um, as uh, Jake was praying, we can do it with people that aren't in our political spectrum. We can do it with our political leaders. We can do it with um, really anything that we feel is not up to standard. We can marginalize other people. We can marginalize those that deal with handicaps. We can marginalize those that are just different from us. And it was no different in Bible days. So where did marginalization originate? And it's in Genesis 3, 1 to 5. I'm going to read that. The serpent comes to Eve, and he says, Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but um, God did say, that you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The enemy says, you will not certainly die, the serpent says, for God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's a lot of marginalizing going on in this story. God made a command and then when the serpent says, mm, 
I don't really think that's exactly what he said. And if he did say it, it's only because he doesn't want you to be an equal. Eve also, she adds to the command that we are not to touch it too. And that wasn't part of the command. I'm sure they were supposed to touch it because he told them to tend the garden. And so marginalization is happening in uh, God's word. And it's also happening once God says, what did you do? Then what do Adam and Eve do? They marginalize. Well, the woman you gave me. Well, the serpent. And it just, it just started a, a catapult of this problem that we have today. If they're not like me, if I'm trying to get out of a situation, I'm going to marginalize it. The enemy marginalized the word of God. And who is the word? Jesus is the word. So if anybody knew better what marginalizing was like, it was him. But he came in a marginalized state. A, a man in a, or a baby in a manger. And who did they get proclaimed to first? It was shepherds who were marginalized. The entire story is continuing to say, the people that this group of people is marginalizing, I see them. I see them as individuals. I see their identity, and I love them, and I'm coming to them. Our main text today is, um, well, let me go back. In Matthew 9, 36, 38, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest, into his harvest field. He had compassion, and he knew what they were dealing with, and his heart broke for them. We see this as Jesus heals the ten lepers in Luke 17, 11 to 19. That's our main story today. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy, and they met him. They stood at a distance and called in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and it adds, and he was a Samaritan who was a marginalized group in that day. Jesus' response is, were not there ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Had no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he's not marginalizing in this. I think he's speaking to everybody around him because the Pharisees and Sadducees, as well as his disciples, were always close at hand. He's saying, this foreigner who does not know the law, who has not heard my teachings, is coming back to worship. And those other nine that knew the law, knew my teachings, at least the teachings of the law, they're not, they're not coming back. Then he said to them, rise, to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
These lepers came to Jesus as he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. That was approximately a 70-mile jaunt between Samaria and Galilee. And it says, as he went, he's going about his day. He's been in prayer many times, and he comes across these lepers. That's how we're supposed to be doing it. As we go, we just flow in what the Father is asking us to do, and miracles happen. But we get tripped up with the marginalizing. When he, it says, and as the leper went, he realized he was whole. Sam mentioned this last week. And it was, I think all of them received the physical healing. But as he went, he realized, there's more healing. I'm, I'm whole. I'm sure over the years of being a leper and being cast aside, being out, um, couldn't be with his family, people were, you know, looking down on them. It was probably hurtful, and I'm sure there was a lot of issues along with the leprosy that came about, and I feel like it's saying as he went, he, he realized, I am whole. Just like Adam and Eve, as they went, they weren't whole anymore, and they had to cover themselves. And so we see this opposite that Jesus is doing. There's a healing taking place when they come in contact with Jesus. But when Adam and Eve turned from the Lord, turned from the word, Jesus, they realized, "I'm, I'm not whole, and they wanted to fix it. Jesus delivered him. Um, the wholeness is um, defined as safe, delivered, protected, a salvation, um, and delivered from suffering and the bondage of sin as he went. And Jesus said to him many times with other um, miracles at that time, he would say, don't tell anybody. But on this time, he said, and one of the other counts with the lepers, he did say, don't tell anybody, but go show yourselves to the priest. And why would he do this? I feel like going to the priests was the prescribed way in the community to, to receive that uh, um, diagnosis that you can come back into the camp or come back into fellowship. You're clean now. And God had placed priests as the gateway to God. They were supposed to be leading people to God. And so by Jesus saying, go and show yourself to the priest, he was basically giving a loving handout to the priests, saying, you're going to see that this person is now whole, who was a leprous man. And the prophecies from years Uh, you know, dating back 400 or more years, there was a a set way that the Messiah was going to come. When Jesus, when uh, John the Baptist asked, um, are you really the Messiah? All Jesus said was, go and tell John that the lame walk, the blind see. And John knew, you're the Messiah. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that didn't happen. And yet, maybe there was some, but Jesus, as he was 
the Son of God. He's following the chain of command. He's walking humbly. He's not saying, I'm the Son of God. I, I declare you clean, and you don't have to bother with those priests. No, he follows the chain of command. My Father has set them in authority. You go and show yourself to the priests. And again, giving them a chance to repent, all the while showing how gracious, how loving our Father is to within a miracle. There's so many things going on, all for redemption. A marginalized person, chain of command, it's just all, it's a beautiful story. Matthew 9 uh, Matthew 29, 37 says, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. The parables that were leading up to this miracle demonstrated the value and worth of every single person. We're going to go over those now. Um, the pulpit commentary says, these three parables that I'm going to talk about are the apologia of this Galilean master. An apologia is a formal written defense of one's opinions and conduct. So even in these parables leading up to the demonstration of who he was, he's saying, this is how I want you to live your life. So the parables are kind of the in-class discussion and then he goes out and lives it in the world so the first one is the lost sheep and this one is Luke 15 1 to 7 it says suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and I find that interesting too you'd think well I have another 99 why do I need to go after that one well, the 99 are safe where they are. It's the one that needs to be gone after. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who do not need to repent. Uh, Barclay, another commentator, said, church leaders of the early church had a saying, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated by God. <laughs> Again, marginalizing. That is not the heart of God at all. And yet, whatever situation we in, are in today, we can marginalize people and justify it and say, well, you know, that's because, well, you know, well because we're American, well, because, because, and that is not the heart of God. If anything, the church should be um, so on the up and up on this that people come and they say, wow, that group of people doesn't marginalize anybody. They're pretty amazing. Even if they don't want to convert to be with the Lord, they still need to see that light. The protagonist in this story is a shepherd. And in one of the other um, series that Sam went through, the shepherds were considered the lowest of lows in that society. 
And yet that considered lowest of low shepherd is going to that length to find those, that one sheep. The next parable is the lost coin in Luke 15, 8 to 10. Suppose a woman has a 10 silver coins and loses one again, just one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. The protagonist in this story is a woman, and they were the excluded ones in that day from social, political, and religious institutions. They were not given much um, elevation at all. The woman is showed as the one searching, and another commentator, Spurgeon, in Enduring Words, says the lost coin, she lost it, but she didn't lose her right to it. And that's the Lord. He does not lose his right to us, even though the fall happened. He goes on to say that this is how the church, led by the Holy Spirit, should be searching for the lost. Number one, put forth the light of God's word. Two, then sweep and clear their own place. We so often have our big boards in our eye, as the word says, that we can't even clean the speck in our brother's eye. So first, sweep and clean our own place like the widow did. And then search carefully for the lost. Jesus searched carefully as he went. He's constantly eyes wide open looking for those that he can reach. In the sheep, with the sheep story, the sheep doesn't know he's lost. I've read things on sheep, and they'll just travel munching grass, munching grass, munching grass. And they'll just bay, like, where's all my buddies? Where'd they go? Not realizing that they left. So in all of these stories, the sheep doesn't know he's lost, and yet the shepherd is searching. The coin, it's an inanimate object. It doesn't know it's lost, and yet the woman is searching The last one in that section of um, parables is the lost son. And that one's a long one, so we, we know the story of the prodigal son. He chose to leave. He's the, this is the only one um, where the object that is lost has chosen to leave. And this is the one that Jesus tells as the father searching. He chooses to leave. He's the youngest. He goes off, spends all the money, and then realizes, what have I done? This is ridiculous. I can live better as a servant for my father. So he returns, and as he's returning, the father runs out. He's so thrilled to see him, welcomes him back, does a festive uh, party for him, and puts his ring back on his finger, gives him a robe, and it's like he's never done anything wrong. And who's upset in this story but the older brother? And the older brother represents the church leaders of that day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, Jews versus Gentiles. And he's mad that the party has happened and he's been working all this time. 
And the father says, all this time, all that I have is yours. But shouldn't we be rejoicing that this one has come back? And so often we think if somebody else is elevated, we're going to be marginalized. And that is not in God's way. We always, we aren't the ones that are gone right now, but we're enjoying time in his house, time on his lap, time in his presence. It's those away from him that so desperately need to be gathered in. And so we don't need to marginalize ever because we will never be marginalized in God's house, in God's kingdom. He has enough room for all of us. And another commentator said, this was a new thing that Jesus was teaching men about God, that he actually searches for humanity. And I was thinking, was it really? Because in the garden, God said, I'm going to send one, and it's going to draw you back to me. So I think it was just more of a, they had been doing things a certain way, and so they think what Jesus is teaching is this far-out idea And yet from Genesis, that is his heart. You think about Jonah. That was going to a foreign land. And his heart is pulling them in, pulling them in. I did another uh, lesson uh, years ago and read how while the children of Israel were in Egypt for that 400 years, God was giving the Canaanites time to repent. So his heart is constantly Come to me, come to me, come to me. That's who he is. This can sometimes be extremely offensive, as it was to the disciples in Mark 14, 7, where when the woman broke the alabaster box onto Jesus' um, head, and his disciples, and Judas especially, was like, oh, this was so costly. Why did you do this? We could have sold it for the poor. And Jesus' response was, you'll always have the poor, but with me, you won't always have me. And from the time that I was young, I always heard that they didn't say this, but they used this, you'll always have the poor. Jesus even said it. So basically, we could marginalize the poor because even Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor, so c'est la vie, what can we do? And yet this was, again, another story that has so much impact to it. It's like it cracks the ball, a baseball player that cracks the ball and then makes the home run. And yet, as Westerners, we can miss it every time. He was not marginalizing. He was schooling the disciples, and Judas. This response, you always have the poor, goes back to Deuteronomy 15, 11, For the poor will never cease from your land. Therefore, I command you, it was a command, saying you shall open your hand wide to your brother, your poor, and your needy. Now, those sitting around him, they knew what he was saying. He was saying, you know how you're supposed to be caring for the poor. I've already told you this. 
This box of alabaster ointment, this box right here, we're talking about this scenario right now, is for my burial. But already, you knew how you were supposed to be taking care of the poor. This box wasn't what it was for. You're supposed to already be doing it. And he knew that's not what they wanted. They were just disgusted that it was, it was used because it was so costly on him. It was so offensive that that is the point where Jesus went out and made a deal with the Pharisees and Sadducees to betray Jesus. So anytime we have marginalization happening in our spirits, in our life, we need to go, uh, something's wrong in there, and go back to the Lord and say, cleanse my heart. I'm going to tell on myself right now. Kind of worried to do that because you might think of me differently for the rest of your lives, but oh well. I was ordering lunch for my daughter and I out uh, the other day. It always happens when you're going to be doing a lesson. And this person was in front of me, and he was taller, but I could see the back of his head, and he had longer hair. And it looked like he just rolled out of bed. And so there was the smash from like a pillow. And the longer I stood there, I was like, when he goes out, couldn't he just brush his hair? Now, truth be told, there are many times I literally roll out of bed, put my slippers on. I do get dressed, but I put my slippers on, and I drive my daughter to work, uh, to school. So... I have no right to say anything to anybody about it. But this day, it was irritating me. So the longer I sat there, I was like, oh, brother. And, you know, he's got slides on, which is another thing. I wear, I always ask my daughter if I can borrow them because I like them so much. And so I'm like, he couldn't even brush his hair, just kept. And then finally, I get up to the line, and the person that I'm ordering says, oh, by the way, the people in front of you, they just bought your lunch. I'm like, okay, they are better than me. I need to repent. Now, truth be told, and I don't know why I keep saying that, but anyway, truth be told, I don't know if they were in the hospital all night with their mom or another family member or they worked all night and they were just going to grab a bite to eat before or whatever. They were stuck on the highway. I don't know. Or he just didn't want to brush his hair. Whatever it is, it gives me no right to marginalize. None. And in that situation, God's grace was sufficient for me. Say, you know, Shelly, they were better than you. Their heart was for other people. And it wasn't condemning to me because I knew it was true. And I was like, I, I need to work on that. And so as we go, we need to see those that are marginalized. We need, and it's not that we have this pressure on us. Oh, I got to minister to every single person. Because Jesus didn't heal everybody. He healed who his father told him. So that's the key, that we're in prayer. And as we go... He's going to put people in our path, just like he put that person in my path uh, in ahead of me in line. And then there's two other um, 
parables, but they're not in that three. One I wrote down, but the other one I forgot to write on there. Uh, the shrewd manager, and this is a parable showing how someone realizes that the it's their end um, and they're going to be accounted for, so they rush around and try to make good decisions in order to pr um, protect their own future. And God is using that, or Jesus was using that parable to say, you need to be looking outward all the time because you never know when you're going to be in that situation and need that. That's the kingdom of God is to be looking outward. So that's that parable. And then the rich man, Lazarus, the rich man used his entire life on himself. And that's really the, the crux of it. It's not that he was rich. It's that it was all for himself. And Lazarus was begging for alms and just sitting on the roadside his entire life. And so who knows? It doesn't say what was in his heart, but he probably had a heart for people because he's um, shown that he went on to be with the Lord. And so that's what that one is. All of these show the area to marginalize, and yet the way out to not marginalize people. In Micah 6.8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That, again, is an Old Testament scripture. So it's not a new idea Jesus was preaching. It was the heart of God from the beginning. Philippians 2, 5, 8 describes Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Christ did, who being in the very nature of God, if anybody had the right to marginalize, it was him. When children came to him, disciples were saying, get away, get away. And he's like, no, let them come. Why? Because it's his heart. So Jesus being, or yes, Jesus being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And then it goes on to say to the cross and to death. But I wrote in, obedient to his calling. Whatever we find as our calling through prayer and walking with the Lord day by day, that's what we need to be obedient in. And marginalization should not be part of it. Even if we feel like, oh, it's just a joke. Oh, we're just, you know, we don't really mean it. But we can't marginalize. We have to be like Jesus. We are to humbly live our lives, showing the love of Jesus as we go. As they come to us, to each soul that's precious to God, no matter what station of life that they or we are in, not allowing marginalization to creep in, we trust in the word Jesus and move in him. Paul said, in him I move and live and have my being. And that was a pointed statement that we all are children of God. We are all needing to be 
focused on the Lord and realize that he is the source of our life. No matter what station we are in, we are still dependent on the life of God to move us. So let's show that love to everybody that we meet and allow him to do those miraculous things, bring that wholeness and life that is his heart. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for all of us that you would help us not to marginalize. As Jake mentioned in the prayer, that we can get so uh, bent on one political leading or where we stand and we can forget that you call us to have love as our banner, love at the center, love shining out. We just ask in those areas like me at the food place, Father, I pray that we would be pricked in our heart and say, oh, I need to change that, Lord. Heal that area that isn't whole in me. Make me sound like that leper realized I am whole because of you. We ask for that today, and we just praise you and thank you for your faithfulness to continue to love us in our journey. In Jesus' name.